0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back again to the Epic Podcast, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. And I'm Edric, your host. And this week, we are joined by Anna Ong. Anna is the storyteller and founder of Wish, a consultancy based in Singapore and Washington DC that provides coaching, consulting, and corporate workshops using techniques from storytelling and improvisation comedy. It's Epic Storytime with Anna Ong. Oh my
1: God! You
0: still have a phone book? Nineteen ninety-seven yellow pages. <laughs> they were actually oh the God, white. That's... They were actually white pages, but now the yellow. Okay. Well, anyway, so Anna, thanks again for joining us for the Epic Podcast. Now, uh, I'm very, very delighted to hear that finally I've got a storyteller on this podcast. You know, courtesy of, of course, uh, I, I think uh, you may have met Ian. So, shout out to Ian Wu, uh, a friend and colleague of mine. All right. So, uh, Anna you are the founder and storyteller of WISH. Now, WISH is spelled as W-Y-S-H. What exactly is W-Y-S-H and WISH?
1: So, WISH stands for, what's your story, huh?
0: (laughs) What's your story, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so that's the acronym of WISH because when I was looking for a name to start my company, I wanted to do it something around what's your story. But then... WIS does not really sound nice to the ears. Really? We go, I need an H. So I was in a cafe. I did I was here in Singapore. I was in a cafe. I was like, what could be an H? I go, huh? Oh. And I go, oh my God, that's it. I have the name. What's your story, huh? Oh, Singaporean style. <laughs> or what's your story, huh? American style.
0: Right, right. Correct. If it were W-Y-S, then of course, it would be a company that would be storytelling with a lisp. That would yes. be a bit different.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It does, so wish is... And also because... Um, I sometimes get my company's name is Wish with a Y, because all your story starts with your why.
0: Mm, very interesting. And storytelling is not huge just yet. I've with certain corporates. I mean, um, as we go along, yes, the idea of storytelling does come in, but it's quite hard to understand to some extent why storytelling should be put in place. So on your end, right, what do you normally tell to the corporates? And why is storytelling so important to them and to themselves as as individuals?
1: 70% of all our communication is composed of stories, whether we're catching up with our friends as to what happened over the weekend or telling our boss our client report, we're all telling stories already. It's about being able to capture the imagination, doing it articulately in a short amount of time. That's the valuable skill. Consciously or unconsciously, most of our conversations revolve around stories. We just are not aware of it. We call it different names, we call it case study, we call it reports, we call it an article that we read or or an update, but it's still stories. That's what, uh, and that's when I point that out to my clients and they go, oh, if I'm already telling stories, then why do I need help in terms of storytelling? Uh, So then this is where I tell them, my specialty of storytelling is personal narratives. I'm not gonna teach you how to write your case study because that's, I'm pretty sure there's somebody else who is much better at it than I am, but I'm here to help you find your story, whether it is as a leader or as a founder, Um, Because knowing your story helps you identify with two things. Why you do what you do, why it matters. It helps you connect with yourself, your authentic self, your North Star. And it also helps inspire others.
0: When did you first discover, I mean, your passion for storytelling? I'm sure that this wasn't exactly like the first thing that you jumped into. How did you get started? What was your first corporate job first?
1: I was in banking. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, uh, I, I will tell you. I I uh, I am. Um, I was. I started in financial markets. I was in the trading floor. I dealt with numbers, and um, I I dealt with bonds, stocks, foreign currency, time deposits.
0: And how did you how that lead you down to, to storytelling? Uh,
1: so that is a is a long story. So.
0: Uh, How appropriate.
1: It is a very, it, so it started in 2016. So I've, my mom has always been, wanted me to be a banker. The entire time I was growing up, My all my mom ever wanted for me to be was to be a banker. Because uh, my aunt, her big sister was a banker and she wanted me to follow her big sister's footsteps. Um, so, so, so when I graduated from university, I applied to work for a bank. And I got a job uh, in the financial markets in the mm. trading floor. And I enjoyed it because uh, like being inside the dealing room is very exciting. It's um, that's where also they keep the best and the brightest uh, minds that they get. Like, cause that's like the nerve center of the bank. Everything goes through that. Uh, so it was very exciting. I had a great career um, that lasted for about 15 years. It took me from the Philippines to Singapore uh, by way through business school. Uh, but in 20, but It came to a point where I wasn't excited about it anymore. Every job Mm. felt the same, that there wasn't like, sure, you get another promotion. Great. You get more responsibility. Great. But it doesn't light me up. But it wasn't bad. It's not like I hated it. Like, you know, some people hate their jobs and some people, oh, my God, banking, that's horrible. I don't hate it. I was good at it. But I don't love it either. I was kind of bored with it because I don't find it exciting. But it did give me a lifestyle that I got used to. I mean, I had a great life I can't complain about "Uh, so maybe work is just work, but everything else is great, but it wasn't giving me a sense of satisfaction so 2016 when the opportunity came for me to leave my job. I decided to take it, I was not planning on quitting my job, the day I left was was more like um, I had a meeting with my boss, he told me that um, he's moving on to a new role and the role that he's moving on to. So normally he's, he and I are a package deal. He goes, we go with him. I don't like that job. And he was pretty much the main reason why I stayed mm-hmm. because he's a great guy. He's a great boss. So when he's moving there, so I told him in a week we're kind of breaking up. So like, I think I'm done. So, and then he's like, well, he goes, what? I go, no, I think I'm done. I, I don't, I don't, I, I want to go. So I uh, I quit my job. And, uh, and my boss asked, so what are you going to do? So I said, I'm going to South America to learn Spanish and dance.
0: What? You what?
1: I said to him, I'm going to go to South America to learn Spanish and dance. I wanted to go to Buenos Aires and learn how to dance the tango. And yes, his reaction was, did you just make this up? And I told him. No, I've been daydreaming about it for a while, but now we execute the fantasy. So I booked a one-way ticket to Colombia, got rid of most of my stuff, um, left with two suitcases. uh, and uh, and spent like uh, about a year traveling around South America learning Spanish and dance. Uh, I started in Colombia. I learned salsa, bachata, kizumba. Realized I hated salsa, discovered tango there. Um, Traveled a a a little bit more, but for me, Buenos Aires was the promised land. That Mm. was where I was gonna go dance tango. And also I heard the best looking men in South America. (laughs) So I moved to Buenos Aires and I fell in love with tango that I treated it like a full-time job. Like I spent all day in dance class learning the different ways to dance tango. And at night I would go to the milonga which is like where people go out and go dance tango. And it was, it was a world like no other. I will just tell you this, like they have, uh, I went to the traditional ones. Uh, the traditional ones is like, it's like going back in time. Like you're in 1930s, the men are dressed up in jackets. They wear those hats, those fedora hats. They um, they, 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 practice this like, uh, it's this, this ritual that we don't see anymore. Men sit on one side of the dance where women mm-hmm. sit on the other. To ask a woman to dance, you have to make the eye contact. So they call it the mirror, the look. And the woman had, the guy would make a signal to the dancer, the woman had to nod her head to ascend. And then she waits for him to walk around the dance floor to pick her up. And I asked my dance teacher, why do I have to wait for him to pick me? up? Why, I'm a modern woman. Why can't I ask him to dance? Or why can't I meet him straight in the dance? We go, Well, one, you never ask a man to dance. This is Argentina. And two, you might be looking at somebody else and not you. <laughs> so you have to wait for him to pick you up and dance. Uh, so I love that beautiful ritual and tradition that they have because it's just so elegant. And to see people in their 70s, 80s dancing next to couples in their 20s, it's, it's like one of those magical things uh, that I remember in Argentina and Tango. So I started with dancing, uh, but after dancing for a year, Uh, Setting up Anna own school for men who can't dance is not a lifelong dream. Uh, And my promise to myself was that if I was going to do anything else, I wanted a job that will give me both passion and purpose. I was passionate about dance, but I do not feel a sense of purpose about dancing because I don't love it enough that I want to make everyone learn, like make every man go how to dance. Though I keep giving that idea to every male dance instructor, but somehow it's still not being embraced. Uh,
0: (laughs) Dance doesn't Uh, change the world kind of thing, right?
1: Hey, it can save a lot of relationships and marriages.
0: I'll give it a shot. Okay. and then
1: Anyway, and then so uh, I went to San Francisco. My sister lives in San Francisco. And San Francisco for me was the land of Passion and purpose, and except I realized when I was there and interviewing, I don't share their passion or purpose. Mm. So I, so one night I was out with a friend and we went to see a stand-up comedy show, and in stand-up it's always very male-dominated. So I was very excited to see a female comedian on set, so I was so looking forward to present. But when she came up on stage and told her jokes, I felt offended because. She went below the belt, and mm. okay, I think, Edric, you've done comedy here in uh, Singapore. I don't think as a woman, I need to go below the belt to be funny, but that's me. I always think we, we don't have to go there to be funny because you, I, I appreciate humor in terms of wit, but right. I don't think you need to be crass. Um so, so, so I took offense and I started heckling her, and I got more laughs from the audience than she did. So I felt that if this is the bar for comedy, then I'm just gonna go to comedy. I'm prettier and I'm funnier. With that knowledge, I started looking at comedy schools, and I decided that I was done with San Francisco, so I moved to the East Coast. Um, but stand-up sounded like too much work, and mm. I saw improv and I thought, oh, improv, uh I don't need to do anything. I just have to show up. I don't know what improv was, by the way, when I signed up for improv. I I had absolutely no clue. I did not think that it was a team sport. On my first day of improv, I looked at, you mean I have to play with other people? I have to work? Nobody told me this was a team sport. And I remember the instructor said, like, oh, you'd be surprised to see people who sign up for improv without ever seeing an improv show. And I go like, that's me. Uh, But it was... It, it pushed me out of my comfort zone, but it helped me grow. Um, and I saw improv like dancing. Mm. It's like dancing tango. Yep. It's about connecting with your partner. It's about give and take. Yeah. It's about being clear with your intention as to where you want to go, but, but allowing the other to also build in. So it's, it's co-creating something. Mm. Uh, and so I go, oh, improv is like dancing, but with words. Uh, so I kind of got into it and improv, uh, and in improv, one of the things that they, they norm- we, we have a format called the Armando, uh, which was founded by Armando Diaz, which is you start up with a truthful monologue. So it's something, a story from your life. And then that story, just about 30 seconds to a minute or so, will inspire your team to create scenes inspired by that story. And I remember when I first started... I thought all these Americans like to overshare telling all these personal stuff about themselves. And Mm. I felt so uncomfortable. I never shared anything. Um, But on the night of our first show, um, after practicing with these guys for weeks, um, the, my, the improv coach tells me like, um, so there is a certain energy that, that once you have a team, once you, you, you've been working together, that, that comes in, when you're on stage, don't question it. If your body starts moving, just go, don't think twice. Don't let your head get in the way. And and I remember uh, it was time to do a monologue and nobody, everybody was just looking. And then suddenly I felt my feet just moving up on stage. And I started telling a story about what happened when I was in Colombia. And that moment was when I got my epiphany Although I call it my ecclesiastical moment because it felt, the moment I opened my mouth and started telling the story, it felt as if like a cartoon. The angels opened up. There was a beam of light on me and the angels started singing hallelujah. And that is when it hit me. This is what I was meant to do. I was meant to tell stories. And I haven't even started storytelling yet. I just told my first story on stage and I thought this is what I was meant to do. This is my calling. And that weekend, that night, I started Googling, storytelling New York City. And there was a storytelling festival that's happening that weekend, right next to my yoga studio. I didn't even have to go for it. It was literally at the comedy club right next to my mm-hmm. yoga studio. So I went dragged, I went on my own, dragged my friends to come watch with me. And I met a bunch of storytellers there who told me about this world, this form of storytelling, which is a not so funny version of stand-up people share personal stories and the differences between stand-up storytelling and improv Uh, and that was how i i got into it and i was i want to be one of those people who tell stories up on stage Um, i did not understand it at first but I, i decided that that's what i wanted to do and so i started looking at forums and what's nice in the united states is there's a lot of places for you to go up on stage and share stories uh, there's a lot of open mic places dedicated for storytellers. Um, and so so I kind of just drew myself in it, like read up books in terms of storytelling. Um, so there are um, one, is, well, so one is a recent book that I read, Storyworthy by Matthew Diggs, but another one is Long Story Short. That was the first book on storytelling that I read, which is about how to tell your personal narrative on stage for people mm. who have done it up on stage. And that, uh, that kind of got me started. I also did find um, a program at Georgetown University called Social Impact Storytelling because I wanted to know how does storytelling apply in the workplace? And that was the only business-related storytelling program that I could find. And what I learned from Georgetown was that uh, how how if you give you facts and figures, uh, like say over a million people died of Yellow River um no, sorry, um, river blindness in Africa every year. That is the statistics. If I tell you about Nina, she's five years old. Every day she goes to the river to to play with her friends and she would sometimes drink the river. At the age of six, she turned blind. Mm. Now, suddenly I care because I can picture someone being affected by this. It's like coronavirus. We get like numbers like 200 people infected coronavirus. Okay, 200 people got infected. But we talk about this man, Mr. So-and-so. He got infected on his way to work, whatever. Suddenly we care because we can imagine it. We can picture it. And and so that was what I learned, like how you can apply storytelling for your mission, whether it is for fundraising. So in Georgetown, it's, it's social impacts about fundraising, um, how to tell a story that will trigger the heart, how to tell a story that will move the heartstrings and, or inspire people to join the movement. And um, so, and I, that's how I started in the US in terms of storytelling. I think I went to a networking session and I started telling people, um, I tweeted networking. I Do you love networking, Edrey?
0: Oh, networking is fun.
1: Yeah, so I normally don't like networking. I, but I decided Uh, I was going to treat it like an improv scene Mm -hmm. every person I meet is my new scene partner and at that time I didn't have a job so I was going to have to use reality as my job and because I'm in the United States I can make up any job I want to Mm -hmm. there are people who call themselves chief happiness officers so why can I even not be a kombucha chemist. So because I was brewing kombucha at home, so I'm a kombucha chemist. Uh, so I was making up different titles. And one of the titles, I just said, I'm a storyteller because it's true. I go up on station, I tell mm-hmm. stories. And so one of the guys was asking, so what does a storyteller do in this DC tech startup networking session? So I said, oh, I help work with founders in helping them craft their stories because um, you want them. You, I will help people craft stories using their own voice and their own tone, Mm. because I don't write your stories out for you because then that will become my story. I help you write it in the way that you would speak it because I believe in authenticity. So he keeps asking me about my business, about my storytelling business. And I think this is a great idea. Somebody really should do it. And then I go, oh, well, why not me? And so I think after that, he gave me his card. He found me on LinkedIn, even though it was not updated whatsoever and had only my banking stuff and um, contacted me and asked me to help him with his story. And that's pretty much how I started. I worked with a bunch of startups in Washington Mm DC on how to tell their founding story. And then when I was um, holidaying in Singapore on my way to Bali, so visiting some friends on my way to Bali for a wedding, I started telling my friends what I was doing in the United States. And they told me, why are you doing that there when you can make such a bigger impact here? We need it more in Asia. Mm. I saw my work here. Well, it's a bit harder to get people to wrap their head around storytelling because for some people, they think it's marketing, it's selling, Mm. Uh, it's it's the latest buzzword. So it was a little bit harder but whenever I do get that gig, it's transformational. Like when I see like how people light up and realize that I just made a connection, a real meaningful connection, not like just exchange card, shallow conversation. Yeah. Like I get, I was seen, I was heard. That makes that makes my heart sing, and and for and I in the U.S. it's nice to have. But they can get it from. It's like they can get it from a lot of other people. But here, it's transformational, hmm. and also here, because I am Asian, I prove to fellow Asians that you can do it too. You don't have to be a Westerner to be able to do this.
0: Hmm. Nobody
1: says you have to grow up in the U.S. to tell stories.
0: Right. Now, I, I, you like, just have to I like. Get a I, bit I, of work. I, yeah, I really, really like the the point that you were making that you don't write the stories for them. Because um, by and large, right, uh, being from the corporate side of things, we're given a script where we're, we're taught to read off a script, we're taught to memorize a script, but we don't... I mean, uh, whenever I, I, I share this idea with others is that you first of all, you, yes, you memorize the script for what it is. Yeah. Then from there, you need to internalize the script, right? So that you understand the... the, the, read, the, the under, basically, you understand the purpose of it. Then from there, you need to interpret. The script basically is let yourself reword this entire thing and make it your own, express it yourself. So I've been telling a couple of people, you know, in the sales line, you know, you should do it that way. Don't get stuck on this script in that sense, you know, find out what it is. So I, I completely agree with what you are doing in that sense that, you know, you don't write the stories for them. You let them write their own stories. And then from there, you tweak it a little bit based on who they are.
1: Because you also remember it better if it's in mm. your own voice because this is you telling it to yourself. Uh, well, also, I find that what my, when I only come in is I can't come in to help them with the structure. Like, don't give it away yet. Like, how mm. do you build suspense? How do you keep people hanging to your every word uh, when, when you tell a story? So, because sometimes people go like, they tell you the ending. So I go, if you already told me how it ends. Why am I going to listen to you? But if you keep me hanging, then, you know, I'll listen to what, what happened, next, and then, and then what? Uh, So I sometimes help them in terms of rearranging or just telling them, like, don't tell me, show me, help me picture it in my mind, what you see. Don't tell me, I saw something scary. I go, yeah, but I don't know what that is.
0: Extremely descriptive. Describe
1: Mm. me. Yeah. Describe it to me. So I see what you see, then I feel what you feel. That right. you don't have to tell me, I feel scared. You can just say, I suddenly felt very cold. And then my heart starts racing. So then I know that, that oh my God, you must be scared because your heart starts racing. Or I could feel the air hairs in my arms just starting to go, uh, you know, start, start to rise up. Then, you know, yeah. like, ooh, something scary is about to happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, yesterday when we were just chatting, right, you mentioned that you yeah. don't teach based on the structure. So yeah. that being said, if you don't teach based on the structure, how, how do you convey this idea or is there a concept of storytelling that anybody can just pick up? I mean, Edric loves freebies. So uh, leave one here, please. But so
1: if people would ask, like, what, what? So I guess, Edric, let me ask you this. What for you is a story?
0: What for me is a story?
1: What's your definition of a story?
0: Ah, something with a beginning, a middle and an end.
1: Okay. So, and so yeah. that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's the structure of a story, right? So the yeah. only thing is that that's a skeleton. But I, I think mm-hmm. uh, we all, or at least uh, most of us, would probably know that uh, you know certain details, certain ways of phrasing things, certain descriptors, and all this, I- and yeah, would, would then give it more meat. So that Correct. being said, you know, uh, uh, is that what? I think uh, uh, your area of specialty would be? Or, or is it really just you know, uh, create, re, realigning the entire skeleton of the story in itself?
1: It, it, it depends. Mm. Uh, it depends also. Because some, some people are very good at crafting stories. Mm. And they, their shortcomings is, how do I deliver it? Ah. How do I execute it? Uh, and some people are good at executing, but then they can't structure it. So, right. so there are people who are natural performers. So mm. half the time I work with them in terms of like, how do we how do we bring this story to life? Because it's not just structuring it well. Structuring it well is great if you're writing it and people can read it, it delivers in their head. But if you are, you structured it well but you have to deliver it orally. Now, how do you do that to capture right. people's imagination? The voice, the power, how do you use the power of your voice? How do you right. use the speed, you know, like when, when some like someone goes like once upon a time in a far away land once upon a time in a far away land so sometimes it's all about the delivery right so i work with people based on what their needs are
0: Mm.
1: uh i would say one of the things like well if you're gonna google storytelling structures they said that there are about seven Nine different storytelling structures. All stories are made out of these different structures. You can Google it. Um, there's they, like YouTube have videos that? on it. Yeah,
0: they yes.
1: have that. Yes, uh, there is a von. Uh, there, there, there is. Uh, should um, he even has a YouTube oh video because he gave this? It's all over. So uh,
0: okay, okay.
1: So see, Edric, I just gave you lots of freebies. You just have to Google it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> has lots of freebies I just yeah. Yeah, point me in the right direction I so, yeah. so there are, okay so there are story techni- uh, storytelling techniques and, and, and structures structures what I had no idea there, okay, it's thing? all
1: available uh, it's all available so I help people in terms of how to find the style that works for you because everybody mm. we're all unique in terms of our experiences yep. and we all tell it in a different style I help you feel comfortable telling it in your style i offer i help like how do we build suspense which is something that you can't really read up on it's about practice and also having someone listen and give you feedback right or you could also listen to yourself if you like to listen to the sound of your own voice then you can give yourself feedback if as long as you don't yeah. cringe it takes me a while to like get used um, to. that's one of, of the toughest
0: things uh, to get started with it's to to, to number one, hear your own voice. And number two is to see yourself on on screen as well. It's it's such a strange thing. Um, But have you ever um, had a client, for example, Mm -hmm. that say that, you know, I, I, I want my story to be funnier. You know, I want to hear people laugh, but they're like not funny people, you know?
1: No, I, it's surprised anybody can be funny. I, so I tell them, stop trying. My my main advice is if you want to be funny, don't try to be funny because you're funny when you're not trying. Mm. And oftentimes it's fun. It's uh, interesting is how your stories land with the audience. And it's not even when you're not trying to be funny. Suddenly people are laughing because everybody in the room has a different sense of humor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's different with stand-up comedian, right? If it makes you laugh, or you you still run ideas with other people, if it makes you laugh, then you use it as a joke.
0: Right. Uh,
1: but in storytelling, it can be a hit or miss. Uh, I would say that if it's funny for you and your friends, but then your audience doesn't find it funny, move on. But mm. if you're if it's not funny for you, and it has happened to me, I've told stories where I don't think it's funny, and everybody else is laughing their head off. Mm. I allow them to laugh, and they were like, I still don't understand why they think it's funny, but it's okay. Like, uh, I had a a recent show um, where, at one, actually, at Ian's uh, place, where uh, this girl was telling this story. It was very serious for her, but everybody in the audience just kept laughing and laughing, not laughing at her, but laughing at the story and how she delivered it. And she's like, it wasn't meant to be funny, why are they laughing? And like, it's how she delivered it. It's hilarious, and she wasn't even trying.
0: So very dry. It was just delivered very dryly he, in that sense.
1: She said, "It wasn't. It was that. It wasn't delivered dryly. It was delivered with passion. But it sometimes lands differently based on the audience. Mm. Uh, would you believe, like, uh, like uh, I had also a Singaporean guy and." Uh, it's funny because uh, so people say oh Singaporean guys can't Singaporean people can't make jokes hmm. but he was not even trying and people found him funny he was hilarious because he was just owning it right I think he said like oh um, I'll send you the link I'll email you the link uh, on the YouTube video because he said like uh, yeah you know like basically like, I think she wears the pants in the relationship he just mm-hmm. said the fact because there is something about being truthful yep. and that's funny because he, he was like yeah like i'm sure like there were lots of married couples there who admit yeah my wife is the one who wears the pants in the relationship not me
0: right yeah yeah that's the thing about joke writing you know um i went down that rabbit hole uh, yeah. that time around just trying to to understand what what funny was it's so yes. difficult to to understand that one thing i mean um uh, jimmy Carr wrote two books on that as well, you know, about joke writing and structure, and there are plenty of books and resources out there that tell you, you know, how to set up the punchline, whatever. But at the end of the day, uh, like what you mentioned, writing is one thing, delivering it is another, you know, and uh, uh, something they don't teach you is timing. They can't teach you timing. It's such a natural thing of when to pace, how you're going to deliver and wait, And, and something that they don't tell you is let the audience laugh, let it Mm -hmm. breathe, you know, like a good wine, you have to let it breathe. So in, in, in that sense, you know, um, all, all these elements are nice, uh, but I think something that we don't probably tell others as well in the journey of storytelling is that, uh, be prepared to feel as awkward as you <laughs> you can because it will get super awkward the first few times, right? Uh, you don't know when to stop. You don't know when to pace. You don't know when to um. You don't know. You don't understand the eye contact that comes to you. You don't know what to feel. Are these things that yeah. you address as well?
1: So I I, I give them tips before. Mm. Oh, maybe you'd be inspired, Edric, to tell a story at my upcoming show. The theme okay. is wine and dine. Wine and dine. Wine and dine. You can talk about dating. You can talk about a memorable right. meal. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Why I'm gonna nice? just
1: list you as a storyteller. Okay.
0: Mm.
1: I think <laughs> it's better for you to experience it. It's when, when like Edric when when I say it.
0: that Edric likes freebies. I don't know whether that means f- going there and doing stuff for free too. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Well, no you're I'll gonna pay. You're fun. gonna
1: pay to tell a story, but I'm don't worry, pay to you get a lot story. of things. Oh,
0: damn. I thought yeah, but you
1: get a lot of You get a lot of stuff In exchange for I'll it. try
0: I'll try Give it a shot Why not
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Sign me up Okay everybody You guys heard it Okay great Because I need a man Because I have so many women Signed up I need men <laughs> I need a man I, To tell a story
0: You need a man Oh gosh uh, <laughs> Sorry let's, Let me Tell yeah. you
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. Is that so oh, You can bring a date too You can bring your wife
0: <laughs> It's not she she, she she listens to me all day I think uh, another it's hour okay that She can
1: w- listen to other people No, no You're I, just gonna tell A five minute story
0: No, no I, need, I need to Bluetooth her The suicide hotline If she hears me in there I don't think She'll be able to take it <laughs> Just uh, Nah Nah She's like it's te- It's been ten years Enough
1: <laughs> Oh Okay I'm pretty sure She will like it and Maybe she'll go, I have a story too
0: <laughs> Oh she's got so many I'm sure I'm sure half of the, as a matter of fact, right, she has to remind me of some of the things that happened because uh, sometimes like, you know, blackouts and things like that, you yeah. know, too much of the sauce. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she'll, she saved my skin a couple of times. And uh, yeah, she te- she fills me in. And uh, all a I can say happened. is that, the, yeah, all I can say is that the next morning when she does tell it to me, she's a very passionate storyteller.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would love to have you both as a he said she said story.
0: Oh wow same
1: story, two different versions.
0: Yeah, we could she try. said, this try. said. No. Yeah
1: But anyway, uh but yeah, um what how did we end up in that topic? I, I got think awkwardness oh, and, oh pacing. Uh, do yeah, pa- you pacing.
0: Prepare people for that.
1: Yes. I do. So I coach every storyteller before they go up on stage. Hey, this is you get one on one coaching from me. That's ah. That clients pay through the nose for that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, because I charge by the hour, but I do get hired. Uh, so, but I give it for people who are going to perform in the show because I want to set you up for success and mm-hmm. I want to make sure you tell the best version of your story possible. So, when you have a story, you come to me, we'll have a session, I'll give you feedback as to how I think you can tighten the story, make it tight, how to deliver the story. And then, uh, I also give like about a day or two or the weekend before the show, uh, my long list of tips as to how um, how to visualize, how to set yourself up for success when you mm. tell your story, and also tips like you think this is funny but nobody's laughing, move on. Just because some people don't really realize that, um, you know, so you might get offended like, oh, how come? Or, or you don't know what to do. So it's like mm. if they don't laugh carry on, and then if they do laugh, pause, wait, when did the laughter die sound? Continue, because you don't want to train them. You don't want, because when people, you know, like our teacher, when we're talking, 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 they talk over us because the teacher is training us to keep quiet, to not interrupt. But in storytelling, like you said, wine, let it breathe, in stand-up, you want to train your audience to react, and then after the, uh, so that you give them permission because if you talk over them, then you're telling them you do not have a permission to react after my story. Mm. So that's, uh, so that so those are like some of the tips that I give to people. So see, you're going to get a lot out of this when you uh, tell a story.
0: Yeah, well, storytelling is relatively fun, but you that's, that's the thing. We're so used to pro- probably telling it like to friends, right? With people that you're comfortable with. Then uh, the next thing is um, Uh, do do you also position this whole storytelling thing as preparation for public speaking?
1: I tell people, so because you're telling it up on a stage, Mm. it is a form of public speaking, but I make it fun. So most people think public speaking is terrifying. But if you are telling something in a supportive audience who just, and because I I have a viewpoint about stand, this is where my viewpoint and stand up and storytelling kind of split up, um, where people are just honored. To hear you tell a story and they admire you for your vulnerability. Does mm. that not just fill your heart with joy and make feel you encouraged that I am seen and heard? And for these five minutes, because you only tell a five-minute story, everybody is hanging to my every word. Mm. So the difference between stand-up and storytelling is in stand-up, the audience expects a joke and they expect you to be funny and make them laugh. Like, go ahead, make me laugh. Mm. Try. Versus in storytelling. Oh, my God, you're so brave.
0: It's very, very totally
1: different, totally different. One is like I'm already here to support you because just you showing up, going up on stage is brave enough already. I'm already clapping for you even before you. That's like, like, I'm not going to clap until you make me laugh.
0: Mm. Right.
1: And it better not just be a chapel. It better be a belly laugh.
0: Yeah, well, so, yeah.
1: So that's, that's what you difference. get when
0: you go open mic, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my goodness, yes. I have gone to open mics, but I tell stories, and my stories fall flat with the stand-up crowd because they're like, where's the joke?
0: Mm. <laughs> Correct, correct, but that—that's the thing, you know. Like, um, uh, uh th- there's a certain pacing that you have to do. Uh, I mean, yeah, essentially, depending big. on, yeah, depending on on your style, isn't it? Some some would prefer to give a very rapid fire storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, as but compared to those that have good ups and downs at a very good pacing. So, um, it's it's like uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and uh and Christopher Nolan, you know, <laughs> the yeah. movie directors, they have completely yeah. different pacing.
1: So yeah, so uh. It is true.
0: Yeah. Then on, on your end, right? I mean, the more we talk about storytelling, I can feel your passion just constantly, mm-hmm. just rising and rising and rising. When we started this off, it was, you know, you were tired as hell, but now, you know, you seem re-energized and yeah. and, and, and uh, you know happy and definitely raring to go for another three hours, it seems. At the same time, I'd really like to find out from you, um, do you have down days, you know, that, that you just go... I just don't really feel like helping this client today.
1: I do get down days, but it's not about not helping my client. Mm. It's about when I feel my work is unappreciated. I think sometimes when we do corporate work, right, we sometimes feel that we're being taken for granted and it's not appreciated. Um, So what I normally do is I then ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And why does this matter? And in all honesty, it's not about wish, it's about what's your story slam. I do it for the love of, for wanting to create a culture of storytelling here in Asia. I do it because I wanted, I do it because of people who love, who come to love the show. I didn't even tell you the story of the show, but for people who have come to love the show from the moment we started to where we are now, uh, even amidst the pandemic. Um, so. I do it because uh, they. you can go to the show alone and not feel alone because there is a certain sense of connection you get when you're in a room where people are telling stories. You feel that while our experiences are all very different and unique to us, we all share common themes, and that is the common thread of life. That, and by listening to other people's stories, we automatically have something to talk about, and we talk about something that's real and not so. What do you do for work? But mm. we talk about something like how this story moved us, and and we even talk about the time that we were in the similar situation or we experienced something else. So, like for example, I by the I also encourage audience participation in my show. Not going up on stage, they they um. Write Girl down their little stories. Right? No, 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 no. I asked so uh so in my show, uh for in person, I asked this audience to uh so I have a storytellers, they will tell their stories on stage, but I will also have slips of paper where I ask the audience, this is how you can anonymously participate in the show. Tell us about the time you so. Uh, like last Sunday tell us about the time you had to start something new because my theme was starts and stop. and Or tell us about the time you had to stop doing something. So people talk about new resolutions. So they talk about time like uh, where they, you could talk about the time, it, like, you know, like it was um, New Year's Eve and I've been coughing nonstop. It's because of all the smoking. So if I decide to stop smoking, uh, so it's it's more like so we can't, or a lot of people talk about like getting divorced mm. or, uh, getting a new habit or like i wanted to start a family but he wanted to keep riding his bike you know like so some 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 jokes some people write uh, you can be as personal or as um, flippant as you want uh, because this is anonymous some people write really personal stuff and they also get a good laugh for like you know entertaining the crowd uh, but also it's cathartic Mm. You get some of these things out And nobody, it's like a confessional yes. I joke about it This is like a confessional
0: Right, right and, it, it is true
1: and people like to hear it
0: Yeah, it's, it's true Everybody loves to hear the sin But nobody wants to do the Hail Marys after that
1: Yes, yeah
0: <laughs> It's the truth so. <laughs> so on your end I mean, with, with all these uh, companies That you are coaching, right um, What do you personally Like keep developing yourself Uh, through this like do you improve yourself through their stories too
1: I so I work on my own stories a lot so I still perform as a storyteller uh, in and I put it as a personal challenge for myself now like to each of shows I tell a story myself Mm. so most of the time uh, so when I first started what's your story slam my show I didn't have uh, I, I, I was hosting so I was mostly doing improv And I had people, and so everybody's telling stories, but then one of my clients said, like, everyone says, like, oh, Anna, you're so funny, but we wish we could hear you tell stories, because the only time we hear stories is when you're running a workshop, because that's when I tell stories, but I don't tell stories during the show, because I wanted to shine a light on other people, Mm. but I realized because that was a common comment, the feedback that I was getting, that they want to hear me tell stories. So I started during the pandemic to tell more stories and I perform virtually because I, I get invited to perform in different shows, Australia, United, mostly Australia, and the United States to mm. tell stories on, on the virtual stage that I... So I have a lot of stories. So yeah, practically every week, I have a new story.
0: Right. Hold on a minute. So, how did you get this? How did you get your self-discovered? Before we carry on, I'm creating an open loop for you. Okay. Okay.
1: How did I get myself discovered as yeah. a storyteller? I would go on open mic nights, and I would just um, meet other storytellers, basically, and I meet producers. You meet the producers you t- ask, and no, most of the time they ask you to pitch a story like mm-hmm. I, I ask people pitch me a story and I'll put you up on stage. That's it If you want to be discovered you have to put yourself out there you right. have go and open mics and if they don't have an open mic they ask for pitches start pitching. So I would pitch a story. They always have themes and I would pitch, this is my story. This is my story. So I, sometimes I get rejected. Uh, and during the pandemic, I was pitching stories. Normally it's kind of like I'm auditioning in front of the uh, the director. Mm. And then they will say, oh, okay, we'll take you. And, and because how... I'm probably one of the few people
0: uh-huh.
1: coming from Asia, most of the storytellers are mostly in the United States or Australia, because it's not really big in Asia, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. My unique selling point is I'm coming from Asia, I'm coming from Singapore.
0: Right, And then, <laughs> That's so, my unique so you started point. off your show, you know, what's your story yeah. slam, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I started what's your story slam because I couldn't find a place here to tell stories. Uh, I would go to open mic nights, but like I said to you, the jokes don't land. Hmm. And I was complaining to my friend about it because uh, in 2019, when I first got here to Singapore, came back to Singapore, I was complaining to him about I had lots of trips in the U.S. I would schedule my trips around shows, so that I can perform, watch stories. Even though, even if I'm not performing, I can listen to stories. I feel energized, and then I come back to Singapore. <sighs> uh, so my friend says, "Then why don't you start your own show?" So that's how I started. What's your story step as a dare, as a challenge? Like, why don't you just start your own show? I go, "Yeah, how hard could it be?" Even though I've never done it before, uh, I, I with with armed with watching shows. Uh, and knowing how to tell stories, I recruited eight of my friends to tell stories on a theme. It was the title was risk stories about taking chances. Mm. Um, and I, I, I coached them all like to tell their five minute stories about evolving that theme. And then I uh, and then I had to host it. And it was my first time to host an event. I was so scared because I've never hosted anything, and I have massive stage fright. I couldn't do eye contact. I, I was so nervous, like I didn't know how to be, like how to act in front. So it was it was a very scary process for me uh, to like everything I had to learn on the fly and on the spot. So I would say if I watched my first video, I would cringe because it was I'm so bad. Like, so like, I think one guy who seen me at the first show and then the next time he saw me was on my fourth show. He said like, your hosting has gotten better. And for, that was like a big uh, compliment for me. And uh, and yeah, so after the first show, people loved it that I decided to do a second show. It was supposed to be a one once and done, but it just, so I, and I find having a creative outlet, this, the show mm-hmm. allows me to do my work. Because if I was just tell, teaching people how to tell stories, it would not, um, I don't think it would bring me as much joy as being also able to do something creative because doing things corporate is a little bit too structured. Mm. But I get to design a whole program. I get to reinvent it as I see fit. So now we're doing hybrid shows. Uh, I didn't think I was going to do part Zoom, part part stage, but now I'm I'm producing hybrid shows. It was in-person show only, virtual show only, now hybrid, both in-person and virtual. I have performers zooming in from Vancouver, from New York, when or from France, telling stories in Singapore and competing. So it's so it's, it's 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 good for me. So like I also now do some virtual events for other people um, and host it. It's it's a new skill set that I picked up, but learning also on the fly. Everything's like it's twenty twenty was a year of experimentation. So I experimented with. Doing these things and uh, and it it brings me joy because I think I needed that creative outlet. It's
0: mm, probably one of the best things that probably happened. Eh?
1: It, it's like for you, I think, like you know, Edric. I when I see you, I see your eyes light up when you're thinking about your podcast. Mm. Uh, like you know, like because you know, like you're learning something from every person you interviewed, and you're also sharing this knowledge to people who listen to you, and that brings you joy. If it's not for that, then how can you continue on doing what you're doing?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I feel that uh, listening to you, you know, I better myself in that sense, you know, and I'm able to share that knowledge with even my son, you know, who, who he's, yeah. he's 10. So, you know, he's got he's to pick up these skills eventually, right? Uh, teaching him composition and stuff like that. It's, it's the same thing. He has to learn all these structures and, and how to do these things.
1: My niece was eight years old since I've gone virtual, watches all my shows, both improv and storytelling. So she, how, can how can somebody watch your show?
0: How can somebody watch your show? You have to
1: buy a ticket. Yes, buy a ticket. where do
0: we go to buy a ticket?
1: Ah, okay, so if you wanna buy a ticket virtually, it is going to be at uh, https.bit.ly slash W-Y-S-S wine, W-I-N-E.
0: Okay. Um, I
1: can share with you the link, um, yes. or just look for me on Instagram, Wish, what's Your Story Slam by Wish?
0: Okay. What's Your Story with Slam a y. by Wish? Yes.
1: Wish with a Y on Instagram. So uh, I would normally post, uh, every, uh, you can buy the tickets there um, or LinkedIn. I post, I'm, I'm all over social media except TikTok. I still am trying to figure that one out.
0: <laughs> one last thing before we move on to the next, to the sure. last segment actually, is sure. as a, I would say well you're not exactly freelancing but as as a you know person running your own company and really doing it yourself for yeah. most of the time how are you how how did you actually plan your route to making that money for yourself this this part I really want to know as a one man show or one woman show I'm sorry
1: so it wasn't uh, okay um, I don't I can't say I am a person who is a planner which is funny because like in my old job I think I was a planner I like to plan things ahead of time uh but I find that if I think things through, I will talk myself out of it so I tend to operate with I have a vague idea a half big plan I think it's gonna work and I just go uh, I did that for my show I did that for my living in South America uh in terms of making a living, uh, I think I was fortunate enough because of, um, because of the show, people hear about me and then they start seeking me out. And a lot of my business leads, you know, like they say, right, in sales, everybody wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold to. Hmm. So when people ask, so how's your conversion rate? I said hundred percent because 95 to hundred percent because most of the time they come to me, I don't go to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes me think I really should be hunting. Uh, so I get through my friends. Uh, I am very grateful that I have um, a lot of friends who, are, uh, in the, it, who believe in what I'm doing and believe in what I'm trying to build, that they offer, they help get me access to um, institutions that might have the same mindset as I am and I'm trying mm-hmm. to change.
0: On that note, that's uh, you know, thank thank you so much for sharing all that insights of being, you know, what storytelling is really all about, um, the passion to continue to learn, and ultimately, you know, how you're running this pretty much on your own, being self sufficient, and still loving what you do, you know, despite the ups and downs. So, uh, with that, you know, we're moving on to the final segment of the show. What we always like to do in the Epic Podcast is that um, we like to do a rapid fire. Uh, session, okay. uh, just a okay. couple of questions with you. So okay. just uh, let us know what you think. So, uh, Anna Ong and the Epic Questionnaire, are you ready?
1: Yes, I am ready.
0: All right. Question one: One word that you love the most. Love. One word that you dislike the most.
1: Oh, unsubscribe. <laughs>
0: If you could have a conversation with one person, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive, who would that be?
1: Elon Musk.
0: Everybody loves Elon Musk. Why? Well, actually,
1: to be honest, I kind of like it when he's not talking because um, his stock prices goes up. Um, when he doesn't post anything on Twitter, the moment he starts tweeting and that's the time used
0: to tank yeah everybody started investing in uh, signal which was the wrong one right (laughs) great anyway uh, what do you say to yourself in the mirror every morning
1: today's going to be a great day
0: Mm. name one superpower that you'd like to have time travel Uh, time travel backwards or forwards both both okay
1: yeah
0: right favorite dish to eat this is tough for an Asian
1: (sighs) I love Inihau Naliempo.
0: And that is. Which
1: is a grilled pork belly, marinated grilled pork belly, uh, local in the Philippines.
0: Ah, okay. And. You can't get it uh, anywhere. Mm, it's true. Favorite travel spot?
1: Mexico is one of my favorites.
0: Mm, I've always wanted to go to Cabo. Uh,
1: Mexico has a lot more To offer than just Cabo Yeah No I just want to see
0: The beaches and all Anyway Yeah well I'm not exactly a summer guy But if I can get beer And go to the beach I'll go anywhere
1: (laughs) The Philippines has Lots of nice beaches And it's a lot shorter It's
0: true It's true Something in the arts That you've wanted to do But they've yet to do so
1: (sighs) Oh god I guess it would be uh, Singing in a musical Or an opera Uh.
0: Okay, what does retirement look like to you?
1: Retirement, oh God, I guess it's, uh, I think that it's like what I'm doing now, doing what you love.
0: Fantastic. And uh, last question, how do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy?
1: She, She was seen, she was heard, and she saw me.
0: She came, she saw, she conquered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Anna. And that was the epic question. Now, uh, before we end off the podcast, now, uh, again, when is your next show for your, uh, uh, what's the so story my, So my next show is on
1: March 9th. Uh, if for people in Singapore, it's March 9 at 7.30 p.m. It's going to be at the projector. So just look for What's Your Story Slam by Wish and in, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can get the details there or just Google What's Your Story Slam. You'll find it also on Eventbrite. I like think it's for the show. And Edric is going to tell a story. We'll see. Wine and Dine. I'm, wine and dine. Uh, I'm taking Wine and Dine. Okay. You're already running your head for stories
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about all the drunken stupor That I have to kind of recollect But anyway, yes So thank you very much, Anna And uh, again, the invitation to do the storytelling It's a challenge And I'm up for it Okay
1: It's a not-so-funny version of stand-up You can do it You've done stand-up
0: Yeah, just, it's true And I bombed the stand-up So funny. I should be okay at storytelling
1: Yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's exactly
0: it okay so that's it from us all right i'm edric and that's anna oh sorry wrong side that's anna over there okay so thanks again for joining us and the epic podcast and we will see you next week ciao Bye.